right. So, Romans. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Um, as you're going there, right? Um, Romans are after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Romans. If you're the current things, you got too far. So, chapter 5 today. Um, think about, um, think about like, you're watching TV, right? You're watching Nickelodeon when you're younger. Okay. Or Disney Plus. Disney Plus, wow. Whew. Disney. Uh, when you're younger. And you see like an ad on the TV. Right? And sometimes you see like an ad for medicine. Right? You remember those? Like an ad for medicine. It has like people, right? And it's like people walking through this like sunlit field in slow motion, right? Or they're playing in like a sunlit pool in slow motion. Or something in slow motion. Right? That's the better life. Slow motion life in the sun. Um, they talk about the benefits of that medicine, right? The benefits are up on the screen one at a time, right? They're like benefits. They're like less joint pain, clearer skin, less coughing. And they're, like, and they're like, oh, look at all these great things. What happens at the end of the ad? Yeah, side effects, right? Um, you get this man speaking at light speed, describing all these side effects and negative. You're trying to get this medicine, right? Androlodophotobotolodocene, right? Whatever. For upset stomach, but the side effect is like blurry vision, never ending cough or death, right? It's like, talk to your doctor if you have any of these. It's like, what do you mean? Like, I have a headache. Right? That's all it is. Um, most times I call your doctor today. Right? Get these benefits today. And we're going to see today in this passage in Romans the benefits of justification. Right? The benefits of being declared righteous, of salvation. Right? And there's no section of negative side effects. <gasps> That's great. Uh, but there's only one man talking at light speed. Right here, so <laughs> Try to slow down. Um, so we're in Romans 5, Romans 4, right? Paul just got done talking about Abraham. He quotes Abraham, believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's not by works, otherwise it would be a payment, he says. And says only by belief, Abraham was credited this righteousness. Even in the Old Testament, this is how people were saved. It was through faith in God. So Abraham was the example for everyone else that was faith in God. Paul explains the descendants of Abraham are also justified or declared righteous. Not just the physical ones, but the ones who are spiritual descendants. People who believe in God in the same way that Abraham believed God. We say all that because chapter 5 starts with the transition word, therefore. And what do we ask when we see the word, therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? Right? Why is it there? It talks about the preceding context and see what is going on and stuff. Um, it's signalizing that we're moving on from describing justification through faith. Right? He's fully established that. If you've been with us before this, this in Romans, right? you've seen that for the past like chapter, two chapters basically, he's really been harping the fact that it's through faith, not by works. Through faith, not by works. Through faith, not by works. Over and over again. So he says, okay, therefore, since we know that, that's established, we're moving on to it. We're moving on from the basis of belief only to the benefits of you believe through faith, you have eternal life, you have, you're justified, now what? Paul's no longer concerned with trying to prove justification comes through faith. He's done that, moving on. We're still in this theology section of the book. If you remember the first, like, almost more than half of the book is kind of the theology section or so, and then it goes into, like, straight applicational in chapter 12 on. Right? Um, but it's getting more applicational. Because we've gone from, like, here's what you do to be saved, and here's how I'm proving that's what you do to be saved. Now it's like, okay, you're saved. Now here's what you have. Right? Here's what you can do. Here's how you should act, right? but not applicational as much, but there is a lot of application in it. So we're going to see um, that we have, um, I don't have an outline, but I would have. Uh, so we have peace with God first. We're going to see that we have hope and glory and tribulations. 
we're going to see something about God's radical love and about living in resurrection. So we see those kind of four things. We have peace with God. We have hope and glory and in tribulations. We're going to see God's radical love and then living in resurrection. So I'm going to read um, Romans 5, 1 through 11. And we'll get started. It says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will hardly die for a righteous person. But perhaps for the good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only this, but we shall also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. All right, let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning um, that we would be able to focus on your word. We would be able to get from it what you desire for us to get from it. We know that your word never comes back void, but always accomplishes its purpose. I pray that we would be, um, have an open minds, open hearts to be encouraged or convicted as needed so that we can better glorify you every day in our lives. For all this in your son's name. All right, let's get into verse one. Who says, therefore, verse one, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I mentioned earlier, right? We're going back like this. We're looking at these benefits of justification in this passage. The first two we see in this one verse. So Paul's now moving on to chapter four, defending righteousness through faith. He's now moving on to the benefits of justification. Justified means to be what? Declared Declared righteous. Exactly what Paul talked about in chapter four. We can't pass that up as the first benefit, right? Having been justified, right? It's a past tense. You've been justified by faith. It means to become righteous. It's the first benefit. God sees us as righteous on the basis of faith is a miracle, right? Miracle of God. Remember, Romans 4, 5 says, But the one who does not work, believes in him and justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. One who doesn't work at all, but believes his faith is credited. So even if we have no work, we're still eternally saved. So the first benefit is no matter what we've done, we are justified by our faith before God. Our good works are filthy rags, and yet we're still declared righteous. Like I said, it's in the past tense. This means that he's talking to believers who have already been justified. What is the the um, ethic, uh, ethnic, ethnic, I guess? Not ethical. Ethnic. ethnic. What's the makeup culturally of the Roman church? Gentile. Gentiles, but also Jews, right? And Jews actually established these churches. And there's a good number of them back. It's probably mostly Gentile. There's a good number of them back. I think a lot of this, this first part of the book especially, is directed towards those Jews, right? Um, and so he's saying um, that you've been justified. These are believing Jews, believing Gentiles. You declared righteous when we believe. Our standing before God right now is righteous. That's what he's saying. 
Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin, Christ, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right? We receive Christ's righteousness the moment we believe. And so as a result, we have justification. Look, it says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we have been justified, now we have peace with God. We were not at peace with God before. We were against him, and now we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. Paul, we'll talk about this later in verses, but we were enemies with God before we were reconciled to him. We were actively against God, enemies of him, but by grace we've been saved through our faith. Now, peace with God is different than peace of God, that we see in scripture. The peace with God comes through salvation. We are now alive together with him. It starts the moment we believe. Um, I'm going to actually just use the board. Um, so, we have... Peace, and we have with God and of God. And with God happens at salvation. Um, it's e eternal, right? It never goes away. We always have peace with God. Uh, it never ends. It's always there. Um, because we were justified by faith, right? Once we're justified, that's eternally where we have peace with God. Peace of God is something we can we can experience during our Christian life. See this in Philippians four, six, and seven. I'm gonna move like over here so that y'all can see. Um, Philippians four, six, and seven. It says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God." In the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God comes whenever we give everything up. Right? We give everything up to God. We go to Him in prayer. Right? So we see it through prayer and thanksgiving and supplication, right? all those things. Um, we let your requests be made known to God. It makes no sense during time. It's under no comprehension, right? During times when everyone else tells us we should not have peace, right? The world is like, you should be like freaking out right now right, with what you're doing. But you're like, I'm at peace, right? I gave everything to God, let my request be done to Him, and I'm just good. It comes when we bring everything to God in prayer, that our request be made known to Him. The peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. This is dependent, right? On us. As to whether, I mean, we have to go to him to get his peace. But we have to be going to God, praying to him, giving up our worries to him. Right? It's not that we just, boom, have it no matter what. Right? Something that's dependent upon us going. It comes and goes our Christian life. It's not eternal like, like peace with God is. It depends on how we respond in situations. Do we turn to God or do we not? The peace with God is never dependent on how we respond in our Christian life. We're always at peace with God. We may not always have the peace of God. We have the peace with God right now. We've been justified. Having been justified, you have peace with God. We have it right now. Not when we die, but now and forever. So the second benefit of justification is having peace with God through our Lord and Jesus Christ. Okay. Verse 2, so through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. So through Christ, who died to pay for sin, rose to conquer death, we have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace with which we stand. 
because of Christ, we're able to stand in the grace of God. Which, if you remember, um, the actually I might actually have this in here. Hold on one second. Have not good notes here, and so I'm just trying to figure out the one that I need. Ah, there it is. Cool. Give this up. Um, our standing, right? Justification. The grace in which we stand is through justification. It's what we are seen before God. So says, we have taken an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. By God's grace, we stand righteous before him. Right? And so Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So we stand in that grace. We're able to come boldly before the throne because of Christ. We've obtained through faith his righteousness to be able to do that. Through our mediator, Jesus Christ. We can boldly approach the throne of grace when we need help because we've been justified. We can relate to us. He can relate to us and help us because he knows what it's like to be tempted. So the third benefit we have of justification is we have never-ending access to God the Father. This is all an act of God's grace. We stand in the grace of God because of our justification. Couldn't get here on our own. This um, Greek, the language was written in, right? The, the word stand here is in perfect tense. That means it's a past action with continuing results. Right? So past action with continuing results. <clears throat> the moment we believe we have access, and this continues all throughout our Christian life. That means right now, you, if you believe in Christ, have access to God. You can turn to Him no matter what we're going through. You can ask for help, confess any sin in our lives, right? and then ask Him to help with our current trial. And I don't know what trial you're going through, right? A lot of times it's said that you're either getting out of a trial, you're in one, or you're entering a trial soon. But remember during this time that you have access to your Creator because you've placed your faith in Him. You're able to go to Him for help. And know that one day we'll be able to physically stand before him, right? We'll be able to physically be before God. That's the second part of verse two. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. One day we will stand before him and we will be glorified, right? Our state and our standing will be the same. Glorification, right? You see that our state and our standing are the same. We'll be glorified without sin. We have been justified and we will be glorified, future tense. These things are guaranteed in scripture. And so, even though we have been declared righteous, our sin before God is righteous, we as believers don't live righteously every day. Is anyone live righteously every day? Not even a joker put his hand up this time, right? Um, yeah, so we don't live righteously every day. And so we still struggle with the flesh. But we have a future hope looking forward to. We still have a future hope. It says we, we stand in the grace and we will be before God. And we still have this future hope, even though we aren't always acting as we should. We know we won't be without sin. We'll be glorified. We'll be perfect. So this hope that we have is that this glorification will happen, right? And we have this also that this has happened. So this little section, right, is what we're going to get into a little bit here in a minute. So this hope here isn't the hope we think of, right? Like, I hope it doesn't rain, which actually I hope it does rain. It hasn't rained in a long time. But I hope it rains. It's rather the present enjoyment of a future reality. Hope is the present enjoyment of a future reality, the joy that we have in Christ. 
puts our hope on what we have promised by God. It gives us courage as we face things now. So it says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's not all. Look at verse 3 and 4. And not only this, but we also exult, we also rejoice in our tribulations, knowing tribulations bring about perseverance. So we're able to exult, we're able to rejoice in tribulations in this life. How is that possible, you think? Right? You go through something really hard, how can you just rejoice in that? Paul goes on and explains. But I don't want to discount the connection from the previous section. He says, no matter what happens, we know that one day, if we believe, where will we be? What? Christ. Yeah. It was like 2% louder than the first time. With Christ. Right? We will stand for We will be glorified. Completely perfect without sin. If we, if we are persecuted or tempted or tortured or killed here, we will one day stand before Christ and be with him. That makes tribulations a little easier to go through, don't you think? It's like, okay, like this is a lot of bad stuff, but one day I'm going to be with Christ. In a thousand years, it'll be fine, right? I mean, I won't remember this very much. And so, all of this, right, makes it easier to go through because we have this hope. We've been justified. We rejoice in this hope of glory of God will happen someday. But this is not talking about the in-between part. This is talking about the sanctification part. Right? This is how we grow in our sanctification as believers, how we become more like Christ. Paul goes one step further than just having a hope. He says, we rejoice knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. If we have the correct response during tribulations, the correct response to tribulations, um, then we build up perseverance. We're able to, to get through things more. We know how to actually respond and trust God during tribulations. We're able to withstand more. The fourth benefit of justification that we see here is God can use tribulations to grow us in our walks. Right? God uses tribulations to grow us in our walks. Only comes after salvation and through relying on Christ. After salvation, through relying on Christ. John 15, 5 says, Christ talks to his disciples and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So without relying on Christ, right, it comes like a, um, a, a, a vineyard, right? What are those trees, what are those plants called? Vine. vine. Grapevine. There you go, right, yeah. So he had this idea, you have like these kind of fences, kind of things going along, right? And you have like, the vine, which is like, like super thick, um, and then you have the branches coming up, like, like you know, going off this way and that way and stuff. Anyway, um, he says, "I am the vine; you are the branches." Right? What would happen if we just were like, you know what? Forget you, vine. What's happening with the branch? You're not making any grapes, right? Um, don't have any grapes, like I told you yesterday. Um, so, we have the vine and the branches, and with this, if we disconnect, if we're not relying on the vine, we're not going to do anything, we'll be saying. And so, without him, we can do nothing. We have to make sure that we're actually connected, we're having a good relationship with the vine. The better relationship we have, the more we're able to bear fruit. Now, notice, it says, or you don't have it in front of you, but it says, um, he who abides in me, I in him. He bears much fruit. What does it mean to like bear fruit? Just like carry, right? Like you're bearing a load, or you're carrying it. 
It doesn't say he abides in me and I him. He produces much fruit. Right? We don't produce it. We just bear it. He produces it, right? God produces it through us. The fruit of the Spirit are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Um, all those things are the fruit, one, right? Fruit of the Spirit that you get if you're walking in the Spirit. But fruit of the Spirit, not fruit of the blank, right? Not fruit of your name, right? Um, it's fruit of the Spirit that we bear, right? And so He produces it. If we try to, bear, if we try to produce a fruit on our own, how does that work? Uh, if you're like, I don't need you, I can make grapes on my own. That's not how things work, right? And so we must be abiding in Christ. If we're living a life in sin, we will not be able to persevere as we would if we were living in fellowship with Christ when the trial comes. So the, the steps are confess then, right? Confess to God your sins, get back into fellowship, and then stay in the Bible, stay in His Word, be praying, and be in a Christian fellowship. It's important to have Christian believers around us, Christian believers, right? Believers around us who are helping to encourage us, edify us, build us up, keep us accountable in our Christian life. Perseverance happens when we're abiding in Christ. And perseverance brings about proven character. This is our testimony, right? Your character's been proven, right? As the idea of result of being tested and coming out on top. It's kind of what this idea has. Others will see our response to trials and see that we get through it well. Not because of us, but because of... God, right? Through the vine, right? Through Christ. Improving character, hope. We know that if we've persevered, our character will be proven. If we had our character proven, we have a hope of being rewarded for our service. Right? Of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. You had trials coming your way, and you, you abided in Christ the entire time, and you persevered through it. We all want to hear that well done, good, faithful servant. So Paul discusses this in a letter to the Corinthian church. He writes to a group of believers, and he says this. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. <clears throat> it says, Do you not know that all those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, but they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So he writes to believers who have eternal life, who have been justified, and he says, run the race so you may win the prize. Right? Well, Paul's pretty clear in Romans 1 through like 16, right? No, 1 through like 4, that how do you get eternal life? Faith. Faith. Is it through running the race? So you get a prize. No. In fact, he says, one who earns something works for it. But the one who does not work but believes him and just on God, his faith is part of the righteousness. So run to believers and says, run so you may win the prize. It's not talking about salvation then. It's talking about rewards. <clears throat> An imperishable wreath, an imperishable crown. They've been justified on faith, not works. And this is run the race to get this wreath. It's persevering through trials, building proven character, and setting our eyes on the hope that we have in Christ. We hope in Christ, living our life now to be well-pleasing to Him. When we stand before Him, we want to be accepted and rewarded, not simply just let in. Both are great, right? Like, if I just could just be in the kingdom... That'd be, that'd be great, right? But one of them has more cause for celebration if you've lived a life of proven character, of persevering. One of something hard, sharing the gospel. Right? Talking to people you don't know well or people you know well about spiritual things. Sometimes it goes well. Sometimes it goes poorly. 
I think our expectation in our minds is that's always going to go poorly, <laughs> probably. But it doesn't always go poorly, right? Um, you get a lot of both. On our UK mission trips, we do hours a day of evangelism. And even though we're tired after all of that, it's so rewarding. We know that even though literally doors get closed in our faces, right? Like, hey, you have me to talk about, like, things are from our church? No. Right? Like, immediate. We know that it's worthwhile work. And we actually feel rewarded. We feel, like, good about what we've done. Right, through that day. We know that there's value within it. So how are we doing? We're sharing the good news of the gospel in our community. A lot of times I think it's scarier to share with your neighbor than a stranger. Right? It's like, oh no, they're going to hate me forever because I tell them that God loves them and he wants to be with them forever. Right? And it's like, no, right? what are we doing? Let's labor in the Lord, sharing his good news because that's work that's not done in vain. So we're looking at all we have right now because we've been justified. Right? We're saying here's the benefit of justification because we've been justified. But unbelievers haven't been. Right? They don't have these benefits. And so let's be a ministry of people who share our faith with others. Right? People are like, oh, you're so what a Bible? You're going to share the gospel with me, aren't you? <laughs> like, that would be great to hear. There's a quote um, by Ironside that says this. He says, In suffering and sorrow, we learn our own nothingness and the greatness of the power that has undertaken to carry us through. So in suffering and sorrow, we learn our own nothingness and the greatness of the power that has undertaken to carry us through. These are lessons we could never learn in heaven. But with Christ, we no longer have these trials we have to persevere through. Right now, we get to learn how to rely on God, how to rely on Him through trials, and we have the option not to. Right? These are things we can't learn in heaven. These are things we can do now. He says we can result in these tribulations now because we can, we can rely on Him. Right? We have joy because we get to rely on God and realize His power. So now we've gone through tribulations, we've persevered, had our character proven, we have this hope. Look at verse 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts the Holy Spirit was given to us. Our hope doesn't disappoint. The truth is, we can set our hope on many things, right? And they can disappoint us. We set our hope in money, right? We realize we're not fulfilled. We set our hope in fame, and realize it brings about false sincerity and fake friends. Right? We set our hope on a person who will inevitably let us down in one way or another. As children, we hope in our parents, but our parents may not be able to do everything that they say they can do. Life gets in the way. Right? Remember the first time that you realized that your parents like were humans and you're like, whoa, they mess up. Right? Like, what? But our hope in God never disappoints. We know for sure he what he says will come to pass. We have this amazing hope. Would we not want um, others to have it as well, right? Unbelievers. There's so much pain that unbelievers have from setting their goals and fulfillment on things that don't fulfill. Right? Setting on money, on fame, on others. Right? We know that we can withstand tribulation, persevere, and have our character proven because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit is given to us. We know that God loves us. Not just head knowledge, but the, the subjective way in which we internally just know that God loves us. Right? It's been poured out within our hearts. 
it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can withstand these trials in a God-glorifying way. If we rely on the Spirit, we can withstand and go through these trials. So the fifth benefit of justification is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who's given to us. And we also know from Ephesians 1, 13, 14, this is a sign to us of God's love and what He has for us. Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says, In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge or a down payment of our inheritance with a view of redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So it says, you believed, and you got the Holy Spirit, which is your sealed, as the Holy Spirit of promise, which is given as a down payment of your future inheritance. A down payment is like, here you go, there's more coming later. Because the Holy Spirit is what we were sealed with for that future that we're going to have. So it's by the Holy Spirit we're able to live the Christian life. One thing to note um, is this progression as we go through this passage. Paul starts with being justified by faith, moves on to the hope that we have, and ends with the love of God. Faith, hope, love. We've heard that somewhere, right? 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to see that understanding the depths of God's love is one of the ways, right, that we can fully experience the joy we have in Christ. When we understand God's love more, we have more joy in this life. Paul's going to continue by describing God's love in detail. It says this, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one hardly died for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us so while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, we're going to see a couple things simultaneously going on in this passage. I used to actually have them right. We're going to see um, love contrasted, our love and God's love. And then we're going to see um, our levels of separation, basically. Separation, right? Uh, uh, from God. Okay. So, we see those two things. So, it says, while we were still helpless, so completely unable to save ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. So the first level is that we were helpless morally, right? We, had, we were just helpless, right? Like, ah, oh, I pity them. They're just helpless. They're just sitting there floundering like a fish out of water, right? Um, we're helpless. While we were still helpless, Christ died. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Um, next is ungodly, right? So first is helpless, then ungodly. Those are just like, yeah, they're helpless. They're like, ah, oh, they're actually not even of the things of God. They're ungodly. And that's whenever... Um, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were helpless, unable, yet he died for us. This one would hardly die for a righteous man. This is kind of one that's seen as upright. Basically, one is righteous, like high morals, high standards. Um, not talking about being declared righteous, but those who like act well. Like, what we would think. Of, like, that's a pretty righteous person. Right? Um, it says, one would hardly die for a righteous person. Um, just because they act good morally. Though perhaps, though, someone would die for a good person. Right? One who is just a good person. Right? If you say, like, yeah, that's a righteous person. And they're like, oh, that's a good person. Right? You can already tell, like, that's a difference in your mind. 
that person, really good morally, that person, that'll help you out. Right? That person will help you in a time of need. So that entails that you live out this good. You are kind and extend goodness to others. Um, people might die for that person. Our love, so we can see like our love contrasted. Our love says um, that I probably wouldn't die for that righteous person, but maybe that good person. You know, they've helped me out so much. I'd be willing maybe to die for them. But God's love is so much greater than that. Because it's sinners that he died for. Another level of separation that we have. It's sinners that God died for. He showed us his love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we're still sinners doing things actually against God's will. Not just ungodly, like not of God, but against God's will, sinning. That's whenever he died for us. So yet that's when Christ died for us. This love goes way beyond our own love. We wouldn't die for an upright man, maybe a good person, but Christ died for us while we were sinning, actively doing evil. While you were doing the thing that you know is wrong, but you do anyways, Christ looked at you and said, I'm going to die this terrible death. Take that sin on myself so that you can be with me. So that you don't have to take the penalty for that sin and be separated forever. He says, I'm going to take your sin that you know is wrong that you're still doing, and I'm taking it on myself and die for it. So you be with me. All I ask is that you believe in me as your Savior. So God so loved the world, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that means like, here's how he loved the world. It's not like God so loved the world, right? Like really loved. He does. But it means in this way, right? For God so loved the world like this. He sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's love beyond what we're capable of understanding. And that's to show us sinners, right? It's shown to us as sinners. That's just the start of the story. But much more than that, right? Look at verse 9. Much more than that, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So we were declared righteous, and then we're saved from God's wrath through Christ. Now, we see the wrath of God in Romans 1. In Romans 1 is the last kind of time we've seen this. Through faith, the righteousness of God is revealed, but the wrath of God is revealed through ungodliness of those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Okay? So remember that here is Romans 1, 16, 17 says, For in it, this is the theme of Romans, For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of those who men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The wrath of God through ungodliness. But then Christ reconciled us to himself. So we're saved from that wrath since it was poured out on Christ. That makes sense? So we see much more than having been justified by his blood, declared righteous, we're saved from that wrath. Because the wrath of God is poured out on unrighteousness, but we now are righteous. Okay? And then verse 10. For if while we were enemies with... We were, well, okay, hold on, hold on. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, death of the Son, much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Okay, what is harder? Um, declaring someone who's unrighteous righteous or helping a righteous person live righteously? The first one, right? Like the hard part, right, is over. And now it's like, well, now even more during a Christian life, you can be saved through him. So while we were yet enemies were reconciled to God through death of the Son, much more having been reconciled, we'll be saved by His life. We were the most against God we could get. We were enemies. That's another level of separation, right? We were completely against God. He reconciled him to, um, us to Himself. 
We've been reconciled to God through his son, Jesus. Notice, God is never reconciled to man, ever in the Bible. It's always God reconciled man back to himself. In fact, that's the story of the Bible. There's reconciliation and restoration. It's perfect God bringing sinful man back to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So if we've already been brought into reconciliation, how much more will we be saved by his life? Right? Saved from wrath. We were enemies, right? Remember Romans 1, 18-32? Which is like sin, basically, essentially, right? Um, we were enemies like that, but now we're brought into a right relationship with Christ. We also walk in newness of life. We've been made spiritually alive. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and we have spiritual gifts. Not only do we no longer get God's eternal wrath, we also get to live for Him and be saved from His wrath of unrighteousness here on earth. We've talked about it before. We can be disciplined here on earth. right? As believers, as God's children, He'd be a bad father if He didn't discipline whenever we're doing the wrong things. It takes living out that newness of Christ's resurrection, His resurrection lives. Putting to death things of the flesh that want you to act like an enemy of God, Instead, act as a friend and a child of God. We were saved through his death, and we can be saved through his life by living resurrection lives, the newness of life, not living like the old person, right? the one who, who wants to sin. And that brings about joy. Look at verse 11. Not only this, we also exult or joy, right? have joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received the reconciliation. We exult, we rejoice in God through Jesus Christ because Jesus, we receive reconciliation and we can go live lives that glorify God. The way we can fully experience the joy of Christ is by understanding God's love and living resurrection lives. He says, God demonstrated his love this way. When we understand how God loves us, we're going to have more joy. Right? Like you're just going to understand that more, you have more joy. And then if you live resurrection lives now, if you live in faith every day, then you're going to experience more joy too. Because actively living opposed to Christ is not going to bring you much joy in life. Right. And we know, right, that for walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit includes joy. Well, there you go. Right. If we're walking in the Spirit, we will get fruit of the Spirit. That's joy. God will bless what we do. God disciplines us. Hebrews 12, 6 is the verse that says God disciplines us. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And He scourges every son whom He receives. Right. And so God loves us. He's going to discipline us if we're doing not the right thing. So live a life pleasing to God and you'll experience the joy of Christ more fully. So we've been declared righteous by faith. We are put at peace with God. We stand in His grace. We not only have a future hope of glory, but also a hope of getting rewarded if we live out our faith in trials. Right? And God's love is so much greater than ours. We wouldn't die for a righteous person, less so a sinner. Right? Right. That person's a sinner. Yeah, I die for him. Right? That, that doesn't make sense to us. Right? Yet Christ died for us as we were sinning. And that keeps us from the wrath of God. Eternally, because it's on Christ. And then now here on earth, if we live by his life. If we use the power of the Holy Spirit, we're being made righteous, we're abiding in Christ, then we are saved from his wrath here on earth. If we put to death the things of the flesh. Right? If we don't follow what the flesh wants us to do. So some application. You have to just listen to them. Um, first of all, set our hope on Christ for eternal glory and then also for rewards for living faithfully. So set your hope on Christ, not on things of this world, not on people or money or grades. Right? 
You get an F, that's not your identity, right? Or sorry, some of you. You get a B, not your identity, right? So you get all A's, not your identity. And all A's, like, you get to the end of the semester and be like, wow, I did it. Cool, <laughs> right? Whatever. Right? In a thousand years, you're going to be like, yeah, I got all A's, I don't care. Right? You're going to care how you lived for Christ in this life. Now, maybe getting all A's. And maybe getting a few B's so you can love people around you better. So, set your hope on Christ for eternal glory and for rewards for living more faithfully. And then, secondly, dwell on God's love for us, for you. Dwell on his love for us. Don't, like, don't just take it for granted. Oh, yeah, God loves me. Cool. But, like, study it. Look at how God loves us in the Bible. And not just, like, the little part that Christ died for us in the Bible, right? Like, the entire Bible demonstrates God's love for humanity. And so, study it, don't take it for granted, right? Third, live based on Christ's life. You have life based on his death, eternal life based on his death, right? But then you have abundant life according to his newness of life. So, live based on Christ's life. You have eternal life already based on his death. Now live according to his life, to that newness of life we're given. Right? You have abundant life according to his life. Right? Any questions or anything, um, or comments on any of this? Like, just so this is not about my notes, right? Was the third benefit glorification? Uh, <laughs> I think so. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, there's first benefit. The, the fourth? Hold on. Yeah, the fourth? Sorry. The Sorry. Sorry. Oh, you say third or fourth? Uh, third. So, third is justification. Right? Wait. That's not right. Glorification. The third benefit is we have access to God the Father. Right? Always have access, no matter what. That's our third. And then the fourth was God can use tribulations to grow us in our walks. There's actually more in there. I didn't keep numbering them. But. All right, any other questions? Comments? Can you send the HG Ironside quote in the announcement chat later? Sure. Yeah. I think um, you and I were talking about, um, like, instead of watching here, God loves you, um, and just because so. Zeus, right, coming down and dying for other humans. In fact, he's kind of like, ugh, these humans, right? It was like a sort of like, ugh, I'm better than you. And yet Christ came down and washed people's feet, right? Like God came down and washed people's feet. And that's nothing that you would see in any of the other religions at all, right? Like the other Roman, Greek myths, anything right? that happening. And so 
our God is a is love, right? Like He is love. He always has been love. It's Trinity, right? It's okay. This, I'm gonna geek out here a second. Um, there's a really good book called um, I'll just write it down here if anyone's ever interested. Um, it's pretty short and it's written in a way um, that you can read it. I could read it, and I'm an engineering student, so it's fine. The Light of the Trinity by, like, it reads. And it talks about the Trinity, and it says, like, what is the identity of God? And, like, is God just creator? Is that who he is? It's like, yes, he is creator, but then what was he before creation? Because to be a creator, you have to have a creation. And so was he just, like, that can't be his ultimate identity, right? Was creation, creator, I mean. Because there was no what time there was no creation, um, but if you have God being relational, well, if God wasn't triune, He couldn't be relational. But there's God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. Right? There's always a relation happening there, and the way that we are placed in Christ means we get to be added to that triune relationship. Right? If it wasn't triune, well, then it couldn't happen. Um, God, if God was love and He wasn't triune to have god the holy spirit father and son he would be all self-love but instead somehow we don't really understand it but somehow it's he's triune and he's able to love father loves the holy spirit loves the son loves the father loves the spirit like all those things love is going in between right if it would be it'd be self-love if it wasn't triune stuff and so you know, there's a lot of really cool things that's like whoa right about about that that short little book that there's there and stuff so i don't even know how oh yeah God's love and how it's so much different than ours and other people's view of love. All right, any other questions? Um, don't think having a solid understanding or a better understanding of God's love makes a difference in your life? And what would that difference be? Um, if you... Something I've been thinking about a lot this week, actually, is if you are really just focused on the love of other people, like other people's love for you and your love for other people, when those people let you down, it's a lot more crushing than mm. it needs to be. Or because you're like, well, yeah, they're human, I should have expected that. Yeah. It's like, what? Not you, no. Yeah. But then, so that's something I've been thinking about a lot this week, is if you're finding too much, too much of your meaning, love your other people and love from God, you're not going to be ultimately satisfied. You will be let down. Whereas you're talking about today, we, our hope is not disappointing. Our hope of God is not disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People let us down. God doesn't. I think I talked about it. It was a Tuesday. About like, we shouldn't punish ourselves because God, um, and I think understanding God's love better makes that easier to like, oh, I don't need to, I don't need to repent myself whenever I sin because God loves us and he's also just. And so whatever, um, whatever he thinks is right as the father scourging the son, that's what's right. And so knowing that God is doing that out of a place of love, and I probably would be doing it out of a place of, oh, you're so stupid. Why are you saying that? It's just maybe easier to not 
is that sort of mm. self-deprecating visit. Yeah. When do you all find it the hardest to have joy in life? Any particular trials in your head? It's like this, driving on the highway or something. Lack of sleep, right? Tired. You're just like, nah. I just hate life, right? Like, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to do about it. Sickness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, when we focus on God's love, right, and eternity, like when our eyes are fixed so far on eternity that we're able to live for Christ in the present, right? There's a certain level of like, you know, if our life is here, right, and we're like, okay, one day this thing will happen, then it's like really hard to like live this time in between to focus on this hope that we have here. But if we're like, okay, one day I'll be with God, like that's really cool. And you're able to focus a lot more. And then if you're like, in 10,000 years, I'm going to be with God still glorifying, praising, everything like that. Then you're like, I'm so far ahead that any trials that happen here, right? Like, I'm just going to live for God for them, right? Because I'm not going to care in 2,000, 10,000, 30,000, a million years of this little thing to happen, right? About like, I didn't get enough sleep last night. Right? Or I am so hungry right now, and it's an hour past I normally have lunch. Right? Like We're going to care, how did I react whenever I went through this thing, more so than this thing sucked. So, it's a thing where you look so far ahead that you're able to live now in a better way. More enjoy. So. All right. Let's pray. Lord... We thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you've given us as benefits of being declared righteous in you, that we have peace with you, that we will always have access to you, that we're able to um, stand in this, in this grace and, and uh, receive grace whenever we need it, that we're able to um, have a hope of eternity, of being with you, but also that we're able to have hope now of these trials growing us, these trials making us a stronger believer, a stronger relationship with you, able to persevere through more things, have our character proven, and have hope. Um, I pray that we would rely on, on you during all of these things, that we would focus on your love, knowing that your love is so much better than our love, that you died for us while we're sinning. There's times that we sin, we know that you looked at us and said, I'm still going to die for you, even though you're actively going against what you have said for us, Lord. Um, and I pray that we would focus on your love, not take it for granted, but that we would focus on it and dwell on it and use that as, as a, um, a way to have more joy through our trials, Lord. And we would rejoice because we know that we've been reconciled to you and that throughout our lives we can be made more and more like you and be rewarded and hear, well done, good and faithful servant from you. We want to be well-pleasing to you, Lord. I pray that this week is a, is a week where we're able to, to love others and love you um, in the way that you want us to, God. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.